Grace and mercy and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We're preaching through the, the Beatitudes. We started last week. We'll be going for uh, eight weeks total. The Beatitudes, these opening words of Jesus in his very famous uh, sermon, oftentimes called the Sermon on the Mount. Now, we like to be biblically accurate people here at Saints Peter and Paul, right? We want to be true to God's word and to his, to his Bible. So the sermon, I don't know if you just paid attention, but uh, it said that when Jesus saw the crowds, he sat down. So we need to do something biblically accurate here. If I can have all of you please stand up. I'm not kidding. You stand up. And I'm going to sit. <sighs> This is actually how rabbis did it, how Jesus did it. So they, the teacher would sit, the people would stand. I could get down with this, because I'm tired. <laughs> do you think I'm going to do the whole sermon like this? Ah, you guys, you're too, I'm too nice. To, all right, sit down, sit down. But now you know something. Now you know something. All right. So we're preaching through the Beatitudes. Jesus went up on a mountain, he saw the, he saw the crowds, and he sat down and began to teach. It says that Jesus taught to the disciples. It was his disciples who gathered around him. Now, who was there? It wasn't just the 12. It was more than, more than the 12. Jesus had more than 12 disciples. You know this? A disciple is somebody who is closely following a teacher, modeling their life after that teacher. Uh, Jesus did set aside 12 of those disciples for a particular purpose, but he had more than 12. The book of Acts tells us that at one point Jesus had upwards of 120 disciples. So here Jesus saw the crowds, it says, and he sat down and began to teach them. And he, he opens up his, his mouth, first with the Beatitudes, these blessing statements, as the gateway into the full Sermon on the Mount. But what is this sermon all about? Well, just prior to this, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, Jesus had said these words, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus had said this to people. He said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What Jesus is saying is, Turn from your sinful and wicked ways, for I, the coming Messiah, the promised King, am here, and my kingdom is here for you. Now, the Jewish people had long been awaiting the coming of their King, their Messiah. And so these Jewish people would have been thinking to themselves, okay, what do I have to do? What do I have to do to inherit this kingdom? What standard do I have to live by? Because up to this point, the Jewish people, the standard that they would be familiar with was the standard of the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders of the day. And so the Pharisees and the scribes would have been teaching things mostly about the outward appearance of one's religious practice. They would have taught you things about, well, it's about the right teaching, believing the right Things, praying the right prayers, dressing the right ways, going through the right motions. Jesus was different. Jesus desires the heart. 
So the Sermon on the Mount is not saying to us, if you do these things, you can inherit the kingdom. Jesus is saying, the kingdom is yours because I, Jesus, your king, am with you. And because I am with you and my kingdom is yours, this is what your life will look like. You see the difference? It's not do this and you'll get the kingdom. He's saying, I'm bringing the kingdom to you, and when my kingdom is yours, your life is going to look like this. Last week, we heard Pastor Kevin open up the Beatitudes for us by looking at the very first Beatitude. And he preached on these words, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And there we heard that when we are spiritually broken, broken of our sinful, selfish desires, we find ourselves to be poor in spirit. And there when we surrender ourselves, we receive the riches of Christ's kingdom. They come fully to us when we are poor in spirit. Today, the beatitude we're looking at are these words. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. How many of you like mourning? And I'm not talking about the opposite of nighttime. <laughs> However, some of you night owls probably do mourn when morning comes, but that's besides the point. This is mourning with a U in the middle. Mourning, uh, it means when you feel this, uh, this sense of regret or this, uh, this sense of sadness about the loss or the disappearance of something. We mourn. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. Why? Because when we mourn, we recognize our needs. We recognize that things are not right. We recognize that things are missing and broken in this world. Things are empty and we grieve. And we are blessed when we bring it to Jesus because Jesus is the one who can actually be our help and our comfort. Blessed are those who mourn. I want to tell you a reality that I know for a fact, okay? I know this for a fact. Babies cry, okay? Some of you may have forgotten this, but if you want me to remind you, uh, I can call you at, I don't know, 10 p.m. or midnight or 1 a.m. or 2 a.m. or 3 a.m., 4 a.m. maybe, and I can put you on speakerphone and you can listen to my son cry and you can be reminded that babies cry. Why do babies cry? Because they need to be comforted. They want to be comforted. And when they cry, if they have loving parents, then loving parents comfort them. Now, do the parents comfort the children all the time? If they're loving parents... Yes, those loving parents are constantly providing comfort to their child, to their baby. 
But it is in that baby's time of mourning and sadness when the comfort of their comforting parents is much appreciated and much more well known to them. Because in their time of need, they recognize that that comfort of their parents has always been there. We hear in this beatitude today that blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. But the beatitude that we're looking at here in chapter 5 of Matthew, verse 4, it has to be seen in light of the very first beatitude, actually. The first one that we heard last week actually sets the stage for all of the Beatitudes. And I want to demonstrate this to you. Again, last week we heard this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you see the verbs? You're going to get a grammar lesson here. I've underlined them for you, the action things. They're present tense. That means they happen to you right now. They are yours right now. Right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They're present tense verbs. So Jesus is saying, you are poor in spirit because you are broken, you're sinful when you lay those things down and acknowledge your poor, your poverty in spirit. You have the kingdom of heaven. Because what is the kingdom of heaven? It is Jesus' presence among you. That's what Jesus means by the kingdom of heaven. He says, I'm the king, and I'm coming to bring my way of heaven to your life. And so you are blessed when you are poor in spirit, for I am with you. My kingdom is with you right now, right now, right now, right now. But in 5 verse 4, our verbs are different. In 5 verse 4, it is this, blessed are those who are mourning. It's present tense. Present tense. We are people who mourn. But the second phrase is, they will be comforted. Future tense. They will be comforted. We are present day mourners. We mourn. We mourn when we look at our sinful state and recognize the wreck that it is. We mourn when we look around the world and we realize that we have ruined relationships. We mourn at times of divorce. We mourn when we get diagnoses that we don't like. And we mourn at the time of death. We are present day mourning people. But what Jesus is saying is that the promise of the first beatitude holds true because you are still blessed. Blessed are you who are mourning. You are blessed right now. Why? Because Jesus is with you. His kingdom is with you. He is your king. He is present in your life. Heaven comes to your life. You can be blessed. You can be fortunate. You can acknowledge you have good gifts even in the midst of your mourning even in the midst of your mourning. But you will be comforted. You will be comforted. You will. When? <laughs> when will comfort come? Jesus' promise is that it will come fully and finally on the day that Christ returns. 
This day that we long wait for, when his kingdom will finally come and all things will be made new, on that day there will be final and full comfort. But what about today? Is there any comfort for you who mourn today? There's a tension here. There's this tension. There's this recognition of our mourning and a longing for full comfort in an absence of mourning. There's a tension here. In theological terms, but very simply, we call this the tension of the now and the not yet. Now and not yet. You'll, you'll get it. You understand this? See, now we are people who mourn. Yes? Present day, we are people who mourn. Right now. And right now, Jesus has also said you are blessed people. Right now. Because he's with you and his gifts are yours right now. But not yet do you have full and final comfort. Not yet. Not yet. However, however, the not yet actually becomes yours because the not yet is a promise of Jesus. And Jesus always follows through on his promise. So what is promised to you in the future actually affects you're now. Let me see if I can put it in different terms. Uh, it's like at Thanksgiving, all right? Thanksgiving, y'all longing for Thanksgiving. I'm longing for Thanksgiving because my birthday is also around Thanksgiving, so it's always feast upon feast. But at Thanksgiving, you got all the food in front of you, right? You're excited to eat that spread. It's all there. But before you dig in for dinner, you've scoped out the dessert line. You know which pies you're going to be eating. You're planning on it, right? You know what is to come. Now, when you're sitting down for dinner and the plates are being passed and you're getting kind of full, are you going to take one more heap of grandma's stuffing and stuff it into you so that you're totally topped off? I think only if you're a fool if those desserts are going to be good, you're going to say, you know what? I'm going to save room so I can have two pieces of pie. That's what I would do, right? The not yet, your future expectation affects your present reality and your present decisions and the ways that you go about life. And so this future promise of ultimate comfort is in many ways a present reality, just not, not fully yet. And this is what Jesus is actually telling us here. Jesus is telling us that to be a follower of his means that there will be mourning. It's just part of the deal. There will be mourning in this life. There will. And mourning can actually strengthen our faith to trust in Jesus. When we mourn in Jesus' presence, this is what Jesus is teaching when we mourn in his presence, we recognize and we're telling Jesus, Jesus, you're the only one who can make it right. You're the only one who can make it right. My life is not right right now. Only you can make it right. Only you can bring together what is broken. Mourning is part of the deal of being a Jesus follower. And Jesus says, you are blessed right now, even as you hold on to hope for that full and final comfort. We're people who mourn. We are people who mourn. 
What are you mourning today? Is it a death? A divorce? A diagnosis? Something different? We're people who mourn, but we live in a culture. We live in a culture that often tells us it's not good to mourn. We live in a culture where we're tempted to eliminate or shorten or soften the mourning process. I think even as Christians, we're tempted to think to ourselves at times of mourning, I shouldn't be so sad. I believe in Jesus. I shouldn't be sad. I got I to gotta shake this off. I need to show people that I'm strong because Jesus is strong. That's, yeah. not what Jesus is saying. Friends, Jesus is saying, blessed are you who mourn. He's not saying that we should welcome mourning, that we should celebrate mourning, that we should want to mourn forever. He's just saying it's going to happen. And when you mourn, you're still blessed and you will be comforted. We're people who struggle to mourn, I think. And because we struggle to mourn, I think oftentimes we say the wrong things to other people who are mourning. In our attempts to comfort them, we speak to them things that are unhealthy and actually untrue. But it is our responsibility as Christian people to bring comfort to people who are mourning. We read Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 1, it said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. I love it. It's a mouthful, but you just hear over and over again, comfort, comfort, comfort. Paul says right at the end, it's our responsibility to bring comfort to those who are in affliction with the comfort that we have received from God. And so, as we wrap things up today, I want to give you a couple of tips of things not to say and things to say when you're trying to bring comfort to people who are mourning. And let me just be real with you. I've made these mistakes myself, okay? And I think when I put them up on the board, you will see it yourselves. Here are some things not to say and some things to say if you're trying to bring comfort to people who are mourning. Here are some things not to say. Do not say to a mourning person, cheer up. Don't say to a mourning person, you don't need to cry. Don't even say to them, oh, this is God's plan. He'll work it out. See, that even sounds like a statement of faith. It may be true to some degree, but is it helpful to that person in that moment? If you say any of these things, you are totally disregarding the fact that they're mourning and you're trying to shorten it or soften it, and you don't want to deal with it, so you're just saying, get that morning out of here, move on, right? It's not helpful. It's not true. Blessed are those who mourn. So what should we say instead? Or what should we do? Acknowledge their mourning. Acknowledge it. Talk about why they're mourning. And even acknowledge the fact that the reason they mourn, if it's over a death 
you can talk about the fact that that death is a bummer and that we don't like this death and that we're there to grieve along with them. Acknowledge it. Call a thing what it is. If it's not good, don't call it good. Number two, sit with them. Just be present. And remind them that Jesus sits with them too. The kingdom of God is with you. The kingdom of heaven is with you. Jesus is with you. Bring Jesus there. And finally, point them to the not yet. When the time comes, you don't need to get here right away, but eventually point them to the not yet. Remind them that there is a day yet to come when the morning will be no more. As Jesus says in Revelation, or as it says in Revelation 21, on the day that Christ returns, there will be no more mourning. There will be no more crying. There will be no more sadness. There will be no more death. For all of those things will be dead and gone. And we can point people to that reality. And until that day comes, we walk together as fellow mourners blessed by the presence of Jesus Christ in our lives and his presence among us. And we walk together to that day of everlasting life when true, full, final comfort will be ours forever. In Jesus' name, amen.